You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. Everybody is entitled to their 15 minutes of fame. Now you'll get to hear some of those people share their wisdom and insight on the fame game on Voice America Kids. Now, here's your host, Maddie Rose. Welcome, everybody, to the Fame Game. I'm your host, Maddie Rose, and today we have a very special guest. His name is Grant Malloy-Smith. So, Grant, how are you doing today? Great. How are you doing, Maddie? I'm doing wonderful. It's getting pretty toasty here in Arizona. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to miss those double digits. (laughs) (laughs) My bet. Absolutely. Well, Grant, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm originally from uh, Jacksonville, Florida, but I live in uh, New England now, so that always causes some nice moments of comedy when, because, you know, people on the radio can't see me, but I I dress up like a country guy all the time. I wear a cowboy hat and boots and the whole thing, and then I go to walking down the street in these little New England towns, and people look at me really funny, <laughs> but uh, I don't mind. I'm Being in, in showbiz, I guess I'm used to people staring at me and laughing is hope they're laughing with me more than more than at me but uh, I'm, a, I'm an american roots singer songwriter and I, I put out records under my own name grant malloy smith and uh i'm working on a new one right now wonderful well how did you start in the music industry grant i'm really curious to hear kind of your story and um you know was this an interest of yours from the beginning or how did it come about yeah when i was a l- really little kid um all the older kids like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and all that stuff, and that kind of got me entranced in the whole thing. And I could always pick up an instrument and, and play by ear, and I, I didn't know that that was not normal. I figured everybody could do that. When you're a kid, you don't realize you, know, <laughs> that you can maybe do something that other people can't do. But For sure. But I always liked doing that. I never really took it seriously till about the till about when I was finishing up high school, when I, I have to admit, I noticed that there was a kid, a very shy, a very good friend of mine named Scott, but a very shy, like he would go to a dance and he would never even talk to a girl. You know, he was too shy to do that. And yet one day at the, toward the end of high school, I saw him sitting in the courtyard with a guitar and he was playing and singing for all the world to see. And he was surrounded by girls. And I thought, man, I'm learning something right now. I got to get me a... <laughs> I got to get me a guitar because if the shy guy can do it, you know anybody could do it, and I, I, I'd like to be surrounded by girls too," said every seventeen-year-old <laughs> boy. So, oh, great! <laughs> that was my beginnings. Wow. Well, that's definitely an interesting story, and I love how you, you know, you touched on the part that you were able to play on so many instruments. I mean, that is definitely not a normal thing. I have trouble playing the guitar, just the guitar, <laughs> so I couldn't imagine playing anything else. But um, what were you playing at the time? Mostly guitar and piano, and uh, I like instruments with that have strings and frets or keys. I like. I'm I'm not very. I have to admit, not very good at at uh, brass or woodwinds. I'm just. I don't know. I, somehow there seems to be a threshold where you can't even make a nice note to come out of one of those things unless you have a lot of training, but uh, or a natural gift for them. But I, I'm more of a guitar, keyboard, organ, that kind of a that kind of. A, but I also play you know, like banjo and mandolin and and uh, dobro and ukulele and other other things that have strings and frets. Absolutely. No, those are definitely great instruments. And as far as your family goes, was there any music interest in your family, or was it you that just mostly sparked it? <clears throat> well, before me, my mother was a pianist, and she was very good. She played when she was younger. She had a lot of training, unlike me. She had a lot of real training. 
and um, she learned classical piano, and then she played uh, more modern stuff, you know, back when she was young. And uh, I don't know, I was always surrounded by music, and she was, even though when I was a kid, my father would laugh at my silly rock and roll records, my mother uh, always pretended at least to enjoy them with me and (laughs) didn't give me too hard of a time. I will have to say that although my father would roll his eyes, you know, at all the rock and roll stuff that I listened to when I was younger, um, I would always point out to him, you know, that he was listening. He would sit around and listen to these easy listening music radio channels, you know, that play the thousand violins doing all the pop songs (laughs) of the day, stuff I I just couldn't take it, you know. But uh, (laughs) I said, you know what, half the songs are Beatles songs that you're listening to. He goes, no, they're not. I said, yes, they sure are. They just did Hey Jude, and they did Let It Be before that, and then they they did 12 other Beatles songs. But he, you know, for him it was all the presentation. If they didn't have guys with long hair and electric guitars, he was, he was fine with it. <laughs> as, long, as long as there was a thousand violins, he didn't care who wrote, whether Satan wrote it or not. He couldn't have cared less. But, but uh, anyway, that was my musical upbringing. But I will say it was very supportive from both of them. Even though my father made fun of my music, she, he was still very supportive and let me go off and be a crazy musician. Yes. Well, I think that's very important. You know, support is kind of the foundation of it all. And it's nice when you can surround your pe- yourself with, you know, people that will support you because that just ultimately encourages you more to get out there and just do it for yourself. Right. Right. Hey, it's hard enough to try to even make a dollar in the music business, much less make a living in it. <clears throat> so all the support you can get is definitely helpful. Yes, and I'm glad that you touched on that as well, because I was going to ask you, how difficult was it breaking into the industry? Because I think um, so easily people kind of take that for granted, or they just barely touch the surface of what it actually takes to really break into the industry and make a profession out of it. Yeah, well, there's there's two different things there. I mean, anybody can be in the music business, uh, but to make a living at it, that's a whole other uh, ball of wax and it, it's not easy it's not easy it's still not easy for me it's it's always a challenge and it's getting more and more so it, the technology today is is kind of a double-edged sword it's great in one way you know music is so portable now you can have a million songs on your phone and take your music everywhere with you and uh, that's all good and there's a lot of technology behind that that makes it easier than ever to make music and allows more and more people to in fact make music and put out records and so on. Uh, but at the same time, it's kind of made music seem like it's worthless because you basically have to pay nothing for it. And, and that make, that's kind of a problem because if people view it as not being of any value, then they're not willing to pay any money for it. It gets, gets kind of hard to make a record and spend $10,000 like I'm doing right now to, to make a record, which is really not much. That's like an indie budget. If you go up to the Taylor Swift level, you know, she's spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to make a record, not 10, you know, or 15, but orders of magnitude more than, more than me, you know, and you got, no matter what level you're at, whether you're spending a hundred bucks to make a record or, or a million dollars to make a record, you have to make it back. Otherwise you can't afford to do it. <laughs> so that's kind of a basic business model. It applies to all businesses, you know, and, and it is the music business. It's a lot more fun to just pay, do the music part of it, but if you don't do the business part of it too, then you won't be doing the music part for very long, unless you're, you know, 
living living in a box somewhere. Mm-hmm. And no, that totally makes sense. I mean, I can only imagine how challenging and, and trying it is to get into the music industry. And like you said, when you're kind of limited and restrained with finances, and then at the end of the day, you got to put it up to yourself to make that back. It's not the easiest task out there. And, you know, now we have, you know, iTunes, not necessarily CDs always that we're, you know, wanting, but they're still out there. So... I yeah. can imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, like I said, it's a double-edged sword. There's lots of great things about all the new technology and the fact that music is digital now. That For sure. That's all great. But there's also, there is a, there's a other side of the coin. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so overall, how would you describe your music? It's American Roots. And, and when I say that, people go, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> They're like, English, well, please. <laughs> It's kind of a catch-all category that, uh, well, not catch-all, but, but it, it catches the, the kind of music that is not really exactly country music, and it's not something else. So, but it's in that same kind of wheelhouse. So today you have groups like, um, like Mumford and & Sons and so on, and, and, uh, or Edward Sharp, people like that, and or even Ed Sheeran, for example. He's not really... He's kind of pop folk, kind of in in a way, and I guess you could put him into American Roots, roots although he's probably more pop folk. Mumford and Sons, Amer- or they're kind of American Roots because they use the traditional instruments for the most part, you know, banjos and that kind of stuff, guitars, uh, not too much in the way of big drums, but they use percussion. And but they're not country, you know, they don't write country music, but it's it's in that same general area of the of the music that is kind of indigenous to hear in when i say indigenous i don't mean going back a million years i mean mm-hmm. the only indigenous music we have here is what was created by the native americans <laughs> but i mean in terms of the, the the people that came over from europe you know three four hundred years ago and uh, most of them were english or from the british isles and they brought their their folk music here you know their people sat, sat on the back porch and played it with their old guitars and dulcimers and early kinds of banjos and that kind of morphed into our folk music, and it kept evolving over the centuries, and it became, there was a point maybe 50 years ago or 60 years ago where country music and rock and roll and rockabilly were all kind of the same thing, and they all kind of split apart into three different things and went off in three different directions. But So if you, I didn't mean to make it too long of a story, but if your music is not exactly rock and roll and it's not blues and it's not, country, but it's sort of like those things, and it's probably American Roots, because <laughs> it doesn't fit into neatly one of those other categories, but it's from the same spark. Yes, well, that's a good definition, I, I would suppose. I wouldn't know how to go about it, but that was a beautiful explanation as far as, <laughs> you know, making it certainly clear as far as, you know, what American Roots mean. So you do consider yourself country, though, correct? Well, I think American Roots sort of falls underneath that country umbrella. It does. It definitely does. And, and I certainly, when people look at me, they go, you must be a country guy because I, <laughs> I dress that way. And you just have the stuff, look. I do have the look. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, that's always a good thing. And, uh, I mean, what about country made you want to pursue it? I think the storytelling. I think there, maybe there were two things. People, you know, I, I was doing rock music and pop music for, for a long time and also doing movie scores sort of on the side, which is more, you know, you know kind of like, classical kind of music, uh, in effect. Um, and, and eventually somebody told me, you know what, your, your songs are 
more like country songs than they are pop songs they're because they tell stories and they're not just you know baby baby let me grab your hand baby baby oh let me be your man those kind of idiotic lyrics that you know mm-hmm. pop music generally not always but sometimes has rock music too um i guess maybe i just sort of evolved when i was a kid my grandmother uh my mother's mother she was from hazard uh hazard kentucky Mm-hmm. And she loved bluegrass music and the old style country music from you know when she was growing up. Very real cool. old stuff, and she played that for me. And of course, when I was a kid, I just wanted to be a rock star, and I, I didn't really pay too much attention to it. But I think later on that she planted a seed in, in the back of my mind somewhere that eventually came and sprouted out, and uh, and all of a sudden I discovered I liked that kind of stuff, even though I turned up my nose to it for. The longest time, you know, back when I was a kid and I wanted to be a, a rock star. I liked rock music and all that. You know, I wanted to be Alice Cooper or some crazy guy jumping around like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, who wouldn't want to do that at a young age? I well, mean, now, come yeah, on now. Definitely. This age, I'm too old for that. Yeah, so you're but, like, uh, I'll stick with country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No problem with that. That's what you're good at, and that's why you're successful. But that is a great story, Grant. And with that being said, we do have to take a quick little break, so let's go ahead and do that. Keep it right here. You're listening to The Fame Game. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Looking for a show about your favorite movies, stars, and DVD releases? Get ready for Kids First Coming Attractions on Voice America Kids Channel. Your hosts, the Kids First film critics, preview all the latest movies before they're released, interview stars on the red carpet, and share their reviews with you so you can make informed decisions about what you select to see. Our reporters, ages 7 to 16, will bring you a kid's perspective on these films. Kids First Coming Attractions is heard every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Kids. Show the world your smile. Be the star you are. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're tuned in to Maddie Rose and the Fame Game on the Voice America Kids channel. Now, let's get back to our show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Fame Game. I'm Maddie Rose, and we're back with Grant. So, Grant, the one thing that stuck out to me in the last segment, I mean, those pop lyrics that you did on the spot were not bad. <laughs> they weren't bad. I mean, that's it comes easy to you, I'm sure, as a songwriter. <laughs> well, 
yes. Better lyrics would be harder. <laughs> Bad lyrics are easy, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I love that we're talking about how, you know, country has come full circle. And, you know, it's something that is a part of your music now, and that's what you're pursuing. Um, and I know that you mentioned in the beginning of the last segment that, you know, you are a singer and songwriter. But I'm kind of curious to know which of the two roles you would consider come easiest to you. I think singing does. Um, I think songwriting is, is, is sort of like doing four-dimensional chess. You know, it's really, it's really hard to write a, a good song. And uh, I, if, you're, if you're a serious songwriter, you want to write a great song, you know, like, like yesterday that Paul McCartney wrote. That's a, like a little perfect song. And every songwriter would like to write something that good. And so every time I try to write a song that good, I don't, I don't succeed, but I keep getting better. And I think that's a lot harder than, at least to me, that's a lot harder than, than singing. There's a, there's a lot more variables there. Uh, maybe, maybe if I was a terrible singer, I would have a different answer. But <laughs> I guess it's just not so, I, I, don't, I don't mean to imply that I'm the greatest singer in the whole world. I just think that writing songs is harder. Writing really great songs is harder than a lot of things. Yes. Well, I mean, I would agree with that because um, being a singer myself, I've tried my hand at songwriting before and I just haven't found, you know, the perfect song to write yet or, you know, the perfect (laughs) way to do so or go about it. So it is definitely a tedious task and it is trying. It can be challenging. And, you know, like you said, you just have so many expectations in this one song and then you end up, you know, either tossing it aside or throwing it away or it doesn't necessarily meet your expectations because you kind of have that vision and you're trying so hard to kind of make that happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you, Jimmy Webb, who wrote lots of great songs like Wichita Lineman and all kinds of songs like that, he, he wrote a, a great book about songwriting called Toonsmith that, if you're, if you're a songwriter, is, is worth reading. Awesome. He, has, he gives a lot of insight into kind of best practices for trying to hone your craft and think, think about your song in different ways to, you know, to try to just get better all the time. For sure. No, I think that that's definitely going to be a great resource. I'll have to check it out myself. <laughs> and so, Grant, what does your songwriting process look like? Do, is there, you know, a certain way you like to go about it, or what works for you? There's a couple of ways that songs happen with me. Uh, one is that I sit down and try to write a song. That's one way that it happens, or at least happens in part. Another way is that a lot of times I'm working on a song, and the way I the way I develop my songs is I use, I use the computer to record them piece by piece, sort of like assembling them just so I can create the structure. I don't use that as a recording later. I just use it like a, like a sketchbook to put ideas down so I don't forget them. And it, it's helpful, too, to be able to put down a, a something on an instrument and then, and then sing over it or play a melody with another instrument over it to see how they interplay. It's easier to hear that than to try to do both you know, at the, at the same moment. Um, that's one way I do it. I mean, first is I sit down with a piece of paper and just try to write a song. Another way is using the tape recorder or the nowadays it's a computer. <laughs> but also a lot of times when I'm working on a, a song that I've already written and I'm working in the studio recording it, <clears throat> I might be sitting down to try to play it, you know, invent a guitar part to play in that song. And I'll and I'll stop the recording for a minute and go. Let me let me work on this little. I want to play a little guitar riff that goes like this. 
you know, and then I'll go blah, 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 and I just imagine something, try to figure out how to do it. And in doing that, all of a sudden I go, wait a minute, that's a whole other, that's a whole great idea for a song right there. Hang on a second. Stop. I'm going to work on this song for 10 minutes just so I don't forget what I just thought of. <laughs> so you get these little accidents like that that happen when you're working on something else. And the third way is that a lot of times I'll wake up in the morning and, uh, step, you know, get up and step into the shower and all of a sudden I have an idea, like a really good idea. And a lot, a lot of my best ideas have come at that moment when you're first awake and you're not really all the way awake yet, but you're awake enough not to fall down in the shower. Well, and, hey, uh, that's good. <laughs> you know, but you're not all the way awake. And I think there's something different going on in your brain at that time when you're first, you know, you're just still half asleep. Yes. Those are kind of the three ways that I write a song. And usually most songs are some combination of those things. Well, I mean, that's very interesting. I like hearing that you have different methods as far as how to go about um, songwriting, and that's definitely worked for you. I know that I've heard other people in the music industry on my show, and sometimes they just say, oh, it just comes to me. And that's always, you know, lovely if that can happen to you. But um, for some, it definitely takes, you know, taking it piece by piece or, you know, doesn't necessarily take an hour. It takes days, maybe even months. Yeah. I I think like any kind of math, like if you have a math problem or a personal problem or, you know, you're trying to figure out how to do something and it's complicated and you you think about it, you think about it, you think about it, and you make charts and graphs and you make pros and cons lists on a paper and then you go to bed and sometimes you wake up at three in the morning and, and you have the answer. (laughs) <laughs> because somehow, you, you know, your brain has been working on it in the background, and finally when you became asleep, it had the chance to do it without you, the rest of your brain talking so loud, you know. <laughs> so I, I think there's something like that, too, that happens subconsciously when you, when you let it. Yes, and that's always a nice feeling to wake up with the answer. Who doesn't like that? <laughs> exactly. Those are great moments. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And Grant, I was reading in your bio, and, and I want to know a little bit more about Yellow Trailer, and this was considered your breakthrough album, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because that's where I really changed genres and, and, and went fully into the American Roots, you know, uh, umbrella underneath country music on that album. I really left behind all the, the pop rock stuff and went 100% into that, into that genre. And it really changed my whole songwriting and the way I, the way I sing, too. Because in rock and pop music, you're typically belting it pretty, pretty hard, you know, at least in the chorus, because everybody wants the big, the big chorus. Of course. But um, in country and roots music like I do, it's not, it's not that way, necessarily. And I had a chance to kind of relax more and, and just be more... Uh, more of a singer and less of a yeller, I think. <laughs> well, that's the way good. to look at it. <laughs> Although some people can yell really good, like uh, like Miley Cyrus. I love the way she when she gets, oh, she goodness. can be very tender and very beautiful and soft, <laughs> but then she can really let it rip. And oh my gosh! And I love I love that. That's so funny. It, it, I mean, everybody does have their own unique personality in songs, I would say. And so whatever works for them that they should stick with. But that's so funny that you mentioned that. Because, I mean, there are some people out there. It works for them. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, I can't sing like Ariana Grande. And that's <laughs> sad. But, you know, I live. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Got to find your own way. Absolutely. And, Grant, how long did it take you to make the Yellow Trailer album? Hmm. It it was probably a good year from the beginning to to when it was 
available. Oh, wow. So there was definitely, you know, a lot of process in that. And of course, like you said, it takes time, not just the, and you wrote all the songs too. So I'm sure that right. that's extra for it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote a lot of songs and, and those are the best nine or 10 that I wrote, at least that fit together. Cause that's another thing about, I know everybody thinks about singles today and nobody thinks so much about albums anymore, but uh, I'm the generation that everything was an album and they were big too. They were big, giant black vinyl things and they had music on both sides <laughs> <laughs> even though they weren't very much there wasn't very much music but still um there's a funny story i'll just if you have a moment oh like, yeah absolutely my daughter when she was my she was about eight or nine uh and she we were in this old antique store and she they had a bin of records you know old lps and she picked one up and then she said what's this because it looked like a record you know to her like a cd but it was so big and then I said, "Well, that's that's a that's a record." And then I pulled out the you know the black vinyl record, and and then she held it in her hands, and she was like, "Wow, this your your records were huge." Your C, she called them CDs. Your CDs were huge back back in the day. And I said, "Yeah." And and then she flipped it over, and she saw the little lines in it. And she said, "Is that the music?" I said, "Yeah." She goes, "Wow, you." You're so lucky you had music on both sides of your CDs. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> she thought that this must be like seven hours of music on this record because compared to the size of a CD and, and on both sides, you know, there must be like 100 songs on it. I said, no, there's only about 20 minutes on a side and back, back in that day. Sorry. Sorry to bur burst your bubble like that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I just I kind of diverted myself from what I was answering. When you make a record, I think... One of the important things is that the songs fit together, not that they're just good songs, but they're good, but they also work together. It's sort of like making a crossword puzzle. You know, they all have to, all the words have to, or scrabble, you know, all the words have to intersect in the right place and feel like they they go together, even though they shouldn't all be the same. Sure. They, they need to feel like they were, that it's a cohesive thing. Absolutely. Well, I think you're right in saying that people do kind of miss that portion of it. Um, they're so focused on singles and just like, mm -hmm. oh, writing a good song, one good song, mm -hmm. you know, song after song. But when you're going to put an album together, it has to be cohesive. It has to make sense. There has to be a rhyme or a reason. Kind of like a theme, but, you know, not necessarily mm -hmm. set in stone. But Right. Right. Like Yellow Trailer didn't really have a theme. Um, uh, but the new record I'm working on now does have a theme. It's called Dust Bowl, and all the songs are set in the time of the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. So the, there is kind of a theme to this one, and I kind of like that because it, it, it actually made it easier to write the album because I knew I had to have songs that... It's all like when you score a movie. When you score a movie, people always ask me, that must be, or tell me, or imagine that it must be really difficult to score a movie because who knows what to do. But actually, I think it's the opposite. When you watch a movie... If you've seen a lot of movies, you sort of have a sense of what music does and what role it plays in a, in a movie, if you, if you listen to the music or pay attention to it while you're watching it. Um, so the, if you watch a movie without any music, first of all, it's very boring. If you ever get a chance to watch a movie that has no music yet, first of all, you won't, st you won't be able to stand it. You'll oh, be gosh. Like, what is wrong with this movie? <laughs> this movie is horrible, uh, for the most part, unless there's an amazing sound design going on. Um, but the music plays such an, a powerful role in movies. Sometimes it's overdone, but if it's not, in most cases, it's not overdone. It's, it's right. It helps the movie, and you know, if you're a composer, you know what to do, because you know what the music is supposed to do to help tell the story that's being told you know, in picture. And when you have a theme album, like, like Dust Bowl, like I'm working on now, 
Like there was, that's a real thing that happened, you know, the Dust Bowl of the 1930s, the big drought, and it was also the time of the Great Depression, and on and on and on. There's lots of history there. So you sort of know what you have to write in a way. It's almost like scoring my own little movie, except there's no movie. It's just history that I'm making a score to, in, in effect. Yes. Um, it's meant to be a record album that you enjoy. It's not, you're not supposed to be imagining the, the, the Dust Bowl while you're listening to it. <laughs> but still, it gives, you, it gives the, me, the writer, a, a roadmap. You know, I, know what, I know what the songs have to be about in, in a lot of ways. Yes, well, I think that that's a very good method, and uh, like you said, it kind of gets us involved with the story, and that's a very important aspect of songwriting. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, I am so excited to talk about Dust Bowl in our next segment, but let's go ahead and take a quick little break. Keep it right here. You're listening to The Fame Game. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Looking for a show about your favorite movies, stars, and DVD releases? Get ready for Kids First Coming Attractions on Voice America Kids Channel. Your hosts, the Kids First film critics, preview all the latest movies before they're released, interview stars on the red carpet, and share their reviews with you so you can make informed decisions about what you select to see. Our reporters, ages 7 to 16, will bring you a kid's perspective on these films. Kids First Coming Attractions is heard every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Kids. Show the world your smile. Be the star you are. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're tuned in to Maddie Rose and the Fame Game on the Voice America Kids channel. Now, let's get back to our show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Fame Game. So we still have Grant on the line with us. And Grant, now we're going to talk about your latest album, Dust Bowl, which you were kind of mentioning about it. And uh, I just think that that's such a great idea. It's very different. And uh, it's going to definitely be a big hit, I'm sure. I hope so. (laughs) That's all we can hope for, right? (laughs) A good hit. Well, who would really wouldn't want to listen to songs about you know, death and starvation and disease and drought and <laughs> financial ruin. No, I'm just kidding. It's, the songs <laughs> are not really that way, but the Dust Bowl was that way. But the, the songs are just set in that time and place. And um, there's a lot of, like any great story, I mean, if you look at it now, 80 years later, it's kind of a, it's kind of a story. It was real, obviously, at one point, and it affected millions of people, for better or worse, mostly worse. But today it's a story that, you know, it has some lessons in there, like being better about the environment, 
for example. And um, and so that's that's the kind of stuff I wanted to bring out in the songs. And it, like any any great backdrop, you know, like if you considered World War II, for example, it's a historical backdrop that has real personal stories in it. You know, stories of bravery and courage and love and loss and you know all that kind of stuff. And those are those are great things to to tap into as a as a writer to try to bring the history to life by telling it from the through the eyes of real people. Yes, and I think that's a good way of putting it definitely and um I don't know, I just think that it's a a really good idea and it's something that's different out there and I think that that's what's nice about new up and coming albums is that they're new, they're different, they're not the same because who wants to listen to a repeat? Exactly. <laughs> like we said at the very beginning, it's it's so hard to you know to get people to pay attention anymore to to music because there's so much music out there too, and it's it's readily available that maybe you have to do something a little bit off the beaten path to be separated from uh, to get people to pay attention to you. Sure. And I was also looking at your bio, and you kind of said in there too that you know you don't necessarily want to keep writing that same record over and over again. You really have to take it upon yourself to push yourself to new limits and challenge yourself to, you know, create something new. Because again, like you said, it's just that attention grabber. And it's more apparent than ever that, like you said, in this society that we need to do that now in order to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, it's really true. And even just the way the record's being made is different than any record I ever did before. Um, Before, I would do most of the recording myself in my own studio and then bring other people in to, to do overdubs on the instruments that they're experts at, you know, like violinists and so on. On this record, we're, we're doing pretty much all of it live in the studio and only overdubbing a little bit later. And for me, that was a new experience, and a, and a, but really a great experience. I mean, it's just like when we go out and play live with a band. It's not any different except that... It's not. There's no audience, obviously, and and you have to do the same song over and over again. The audience doesn't like when you do that. <laughs> no, so, uh, <laughs> they frown on that. Didn't you just play that song and then a beer bottle comes flying? Oh gosh! So, but in, in the studio, you know, when you play live, it's it's uh, you get a kind of chemistry uh, among the players that is is really cool, and it's it's impossible to duplicate that any other way. You got to play live with people. Um, for example, if you let's say Paul McCartney did a show where it was him standing on the stage all alone and he had a computer that would play the other parts from the other guys. Now, even though it's Paul McCartney, he might be able to get a bunch of people to come see him because it's him. But if it wasn't him, who would go to see that? Uh, Almost nobody would go to see that. That's true. That would be quite odd. (laughs) That would be very strange, and and it would be nothing, you know, for example, I saw Fleetwood Mac uh, at the beginning of last year. And I had never seen them before, you know, even back during their heyday, I never, I never got the chance to see them. And it was great to see them and to see them play live and to hear them play and sing live. That was so cool. That was really, you get that electricity, you know, that performance is only going to happen that one moment in time in that room. And that's the one thing that can't be digitized and streamed for nothing, that live experience where you're in the same room with those people, you know, when they're playing that. And then they're never going to play that exactly the same way again, just right now, in the moment. And so that's the thing you want to capture, I think, when you, of course, live, but, but also in the studio, to make the record be as real 
and dynamic as possible because it's going to get compressed, it's going to get squished down, it's going to get formatted, it's going to get stuck into a little piece of plastic and stuck into a cardboard container. But you, when someone plays that, you want it to jump out of the speakers and seem alive because it really is alive. There were real people really playing together and creating all the chemistry that's possible when that, when that happens. Well, I love the way that you put it. I mean, that's definitely the goal at the end of the day. And I mean, if you think about it, it kind of comes full circle as well. It comes back to that point of storytelling. You really want to indulge them and engulf them in your storytelling. And Mm -hmm. I can't stress that enough that that's what every person in the music industry says. You know, it's about the story. It's about, you know, making them feel your emotions, letting them know what you're trying to tell. And at the end of the day, it's that's why we love music so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's also true with with any entertainment form, uh, like movies, for example. If you have a, a a movie with amazing special effects, and it looks great and it sounds wonderful, but the the story is terrible, and the acting is lousy, and the the dialogue is terrible, it doesn't do that well, you know. But if it's a great story, even without special effects, it'll do okay. And if you have a great story with all that stuff, you know, it's going to be a it's going to be a, a huge hit. People want stories. Since people were living in caves millions of years ago, they would gather around the fire at night and tell stories and act them out. That's, that's how people communicated and passed information down before they could write things down. You know, they would pass them down that way through storytelling and songs. And I think people invented songs. It's fun to do, to sing, but also you can remember songs better than you can remember words. Now that's very true. And you could pass, you could learn songs and remember them your whole life, even if you haven't heard them in 30 years. People that stutter and have other speech impediments can can sing fine, even though they can't, uh, may have trouble talking like like everyone else. For There've sure. There have been some famous, you know, remember Mel Tillis? He was a famous country singer, and uh, he had a, a pretty bad stutter, but when he sang, he, there was no stutter at all. It's coming from a different part of your brain. And it's incredible to see what music can do with that as well. And I I like that you said that because it truly does, you know, play a different role in everybody's life. And um, it's something that they can just connect to and turn to at the end of the day. Because sometimes we need that. We need that music in our life. And most importantly, some people just can't live without it. (laughs) That's true. I think another thing that is about music is that it's kind of a time machine. When you hear a song that was... Uh, like a hit when you were in high school, for example, or uh, at a certain point in your life, all of a sudden it, it, it rekindles the memories from your own life. You know, it connects it with song. And uh, that, that's a, to me, that's an amazing thing, too. I really enjoy seeing that when it happens. It happens to me, too. I hear songs that were, even though today I listen to them, I go, well, that's really terrible. That's an awful song. But I love it. I want to turn it up. I want to hear it. Because that reminds me of when I was 8, you know, or 12 or 18 or whatever. Yes, I totally understand that feeling. And Grant, my next question for you is, um, I know that you were telling me about some of the impressive names that you get to work with on this Dust Bowl album. Would you mind naming a few for us? Uh, Not at all. Um, The rhythm section is Cindy Lauper's band's rhythm section, uh, and that's Bill Whitman on on bass. He's also her musical director, and he's produced uh, some of her records, including her her big breakthrough album uh, when she first became a, a big star years ago. He's produced lots of records. Uh, and Scooter Warner is a, a great drummer and a wonderful guy. Uh, I just saw him a couple of weeks ago. Because they're on tour, you know, when they finished 
recording with me a few weeks ago, then they had to immediately go practice with her because they were going to go on a, a tour, and oh, she's wow. on that right now. With That's them. awesome. And I went to see them a few weeks ago when they came up near me, up, in, up near Connecticut, and uh, it was fun to go backstage and meet Cindy and, and the rest of the band because I hadn't met the rest of them. So Bill and Scooter from her band um, are the rhythm section. I uh, had a lot of great keyboard uh, playing from Tommy Mandel, and he's he's been he's played with all kinds of people. I think he played the longest with Brian Adams, you know. And remember the song "Cuts Like a Knife," and he, Brian Adams had a million hits, but Tommy played on most of them. I would say he played with him for seven, eight, or nine years. Played on records, went on world tours with him all over the all over the place. He's a he's a great guy. In fact, it's his birthday tomorrow, so. Uh, happy birthday, Tommy! If you're if you're listening, yes, happy early birthday! <laughs> <laughs> Shout outs. <laughs> and then, uh, although he told me today, he just threw his back out, so I guess he'll oh, be, no. be lying down for his birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, on violin, I have uh, Lorenza Ponce, who is a great player. She she's with Bon Jovi's solo band, and she's played with Sam Smith and Adele and all kinds of. She she works every single day. She's one of the A list players in in New York, and a wonderful person. Beside. Um, and I had uh, Ian McDonald play flute on um, on a song or two. He's the founder of the uh, progressive rock band King Crimson, and was with them for years. And then he also founded um, the group Foreigner and was with them for several years on a bunch of their hits, obviously. He plays all kinds of instruments. He, he's, I've actually seen video where he's playing... Two, I think it's two saxophones at the same time. Uh, I don't know how you do oh that. Oh, my goodness. No, I could not but, even attempt two, to play one. Maybe with two clarinets because he plays that too. But <laughs> if I know Ian, he could probably play a saxophone and a clarinet at the same time and somehow somehow uh, play a bass drum with one foot. Oh, my goodness. Um, and we're going to get Derek Trucks to play. He hasn't done it yet, but we're gonna, we've, he's agreed to play on, on one or two of my songs too. He's, he's with the Tedeschi Trucks band. He's also been with the Allman Brothers for a long time. He's their uh, guitar, uh, you know, steel guitar player. He's, a, he's an amazing player. Very Prodigy cool. from when he was young, and uh, even more of a prodigy now. He's incredible. That's amazing. Well, it sounds like you have quite the team put together, and it's going to be an incredible album, I can only imagine. And so with that being said, Grant, we do have to take a quick little break once again, so let's go ahead and do that. Keep it right here. You're listening to The Fame Game. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Looking for a show about your favorite movies, stars, and DVD releases? Get ready for Kids First Coming Attractions on Voice America Kids Channel. Your hosts, the Kids First film critics, preview all the latest movies before they're released, interview stars on the red carpet, and share their reviews with you so you can make informed decisions about what you select to see. Our reporters, ages 7 to 16, will bring you a kid's perspective on these films. Kids First Coming Attractions is heard every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Kids. Show the world your smile. Be the star you are. 
If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. You're tuned in to Maddie Rose and the Fame Game on the Voice America Kids channel. Now, let's get back to our show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Fame Game. I'm Maddie Rose, and we're back with Grant in our final segment. I know time flies when you're having fun, as usual, as I typically say. And Grant, I mean, you have, like I said, you have quite the team. So how excited are you to be playing with them? Oh, it was, I would say that was the thrill of my life, um, uh, to work with all, all those players in the studio and play live. And um, it's just really, I can't even describe it. I was like a little kid. <laughs> I was like a 10-year-old, all excited about <laughs> getting a new baseball card or something like that. I was all a Twitter about it. But um, I, that's something I'll never forget, that, that experience. So now we're in the final stages. There's a few more things, a few more uh, things to add, but uh, we're in the... We're in the final stages now, so that's it's it's in the fun part. That's a wonderful. Well, congratulations! I mean, on you know all, coming to that point, almost completing it. I mean, it must be a great feeling to finally say, you know, we're almost done with it, and another one is done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And I can't wait to go out and play it. So and now I'm I'm working also in parallel on you know making a plan for touring um, for the rest of the year and into next year too. So it's all got to be. Uh, it's all going to be organized and planned over the next few weeks, but that's also fun. Very cool. And when I was looking a little bit more into Dust Bowl and um, what you have planned for that album, I also saw that you were going to have a documentary alongside that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? <clears throat> yes. Um, in fact, I, I made one version of it already, but now we have to change it. Uh, uh, it's, it's kind of a strange story, but I, I literally made this record already myself. And then... Um, and then I met a, a great producer who listened to it, and he said, you need to come to my studio and make that record. And I said, well, I already made the record. He said, yeah, but you can make, we can make it better. We get real people, not just you and, you know, and then adding people later, but really play it live in the studio with, with A-list people. That record will be twice as good as you made it. And, and he offered to do that for me. And so I said, well, all right, I'll do that. <laughs> so I made the record and actually literally uh, took it and didn't put it in the trash can, but now I have like a second version of the same record. Nice. So, uh, <laughs> um, but that means that the documentary, I already had the documentary made too, so now I have to change the documentary. But uh, yeah, I made a documentary that it, it just touches on how the, how the songs fit into the history of the Dust Bowl, just to put them into perspective a little bit. And like I said earlier, you don't need to know the history of the Dust Bowl you know, this is not a, an academic record. It's it's supposed to be enjoyable music, but um, but sometimes it's nice to know a little bit of the of the uh, context of a song. You don't, like I said, you don't have to. And I intentionally wrote them that way. You don't have to know the history, um, 
But if you do know it, it might shed a diff- different light on some of the songs. So, but that also means I need to change the documentary a bit because, first of all, more people are involved than were in, that I mentioned before in the documentary or showed, and then the, the songs are are different now too. So that all has to be changed. But there will be an accompanying documentary uh, once once this whole process is done. Then then we'll go back and revisit that and get that get that updated. Yes. Well, that's always an exciting part to have, I think, you know, a video aspect of it or something to add to it. Like you said, not necessary, but it's always good to, you know, kind of have that as a sideline. And I think people will appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fun to watch. Absolutely. And Grant, what would you consider your biggest achievement in music overall, if you could pick one thing? Wow. I know it's it's kind of a loaded question. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends whether you mean music or the music business, because there's two different kind of, usually two different, maybe two different answers I would All right. How about one of each? One of each. One for music and then one for the music industry. In music, I think, I do think this record, and I'm not just saying that to get people to buy it, because you can't even buy it yet. (laughs) It's going to be months before you can buy it, so I'm not just saying it. But like I sent you one of the songs to listen to from it that's almost, it's virtually done, and... uh, I'm really proud of it. I think it's musically the best thing that I ever that I ever did. I think it's the best writing I've done, and I think it sounds the best of anything I've I've ever done. Um, in the music business, hmm, I don't know. That's that's a hard one. I, w- I would say um, one thing I'm really excited about is that this this summer uh, there's a uh, put on by the United Nations. There's a Nelson Mandela Day. Uh, event. It also has a musical concert connected to it. It's going to be in Washington, D.C. In, in July. And uh, I played in this last year, and now they're going to do it in a much bigger way. And, and the concert itself is going to be um, right in front of the Washington Monument. And I just can't wait to do that. It's only like a month and a half from now. But um, I, can't, I can't wait to do it. I want to play on a stage in front of the Washington Monument, you know, and and uh, it's such a good cause too. You know, Nelson Mandela was a great, a great leader, and he taught many great lessons about forgiveness and tolerance and peace and all that kind of stuff that people a lot of times turn up their nose to. They're too busy yelling and screaming. But that guy, you know, he stood in jail for 30 years, and when they let him out, he didn't go after anybody and try to put them in jail. You know, there was no retribution. He just he was very Gandhi-like in in that way, and all about forgiveness. So it, this is done in his honor, and there's all kinds of other stuff going on at the same time in, in D.C. I'm really proud to be part of that whole thing, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. No, that's lovely. That sounds like a wonderful event, and I can definitely understand why you're excited, and I hope you have a wonderful time there because those are kind of like those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities that you know you don't ever want to turn yeah. up, and you can actually say, yep, I was there, and I did that. Exactly, exactly. I can't wait. Well, that's perfect. And I thought I just might add, too, because something that I noticed, that you're a part of a number of different groups like the Americana Music Association, the Nashville Songwriters Association International, the New York Songwriters Collective, and you're also a BMI artist. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. A lot of my best friends now I I got from the Recording Academy, which I'm also a member of, and that's the group that gives out the Grammys every year. And but it's it's just a big it's a lot of social fun too for musicians you know it's sort of like the ultimate club to belong to um but there's a lot of great people at all levels it's not just the the people at the top level that you see on on the big telecast there's 
thousands of people like me, you know, that most people didn't hear of yet, um, who are independent artists that are part of the whole thing too. And it's so much fun to be connected to them and to know them. And we, we collaborate a lot together. We work together and some of them are playing on this record and I play on other people's records and we're also just good friends. We have fun when we see each other. Well, that is wonderful, Grant. And finally, how can others contact you and or look out for your music? Maybe the best, the central place would be to go to my website. And it's just my, my I use my three names, Grant and then Malloy, M-A-L-O-Y. So there's just one L in it. Uh, Smith, which is the easy part, dot com. And you can do it with hyphens or without hyphens. I think it'll, either way, it'll get there. Um, it'll go to the hyphen version because that's what it really is. But um, if once you go there, you'll be able to, you could sign up as a fan, you can listen to music, you can see all the links to Twitter and all the other social media places where I'm at, like YouTube and Twitter and Instagram and all those other things. And you can check out my, my uh, performance schedule, too. That's always on there, pretty up to date, so you can see where I'm going to be playing uh, around the U.S., Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Grant, for taking the time to come out on my show and share, you know, all about your music. I truly wish you all the best for Dust Bowl, and we will definitely be looking out for it. Well, thank you so much, Maddie Rose. I really appreciate your time and your attention. Absolutely. Well, with that being said, that is the end of our show. But before we leave, just wanted to let you know, if you do want to keep up with me, you can as well keep up with my social media, Instagram at The Maddie Rose, Twitter at The Maddie Rose, and on Facebook, official Maddie Rose. And with that being said, that is now the end of our show. Thank you guys so much. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'll see you next time. Thank you again for listening to The Fame Game on the Voice America Kids channel. Be sure to join Maddie Rose again next week for another great show. We didn't invent Kid Talk. We perfected it. And at a very young age, you're listening to Voice America Kids.